This show is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, the Justice League of board game podcasts. Find out more at Dicetower.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 361. Hey, hey, hello, everybody. We are super excited to be bringing you another one of these things. And, uh, you know, it's an odd number, so it's like an interview show thing. And um, we're going to bring the other half of the PAX Unplugged <laughs> interviews today. Yes, that, that's totally how this thematic uh, thing works, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, who are we? We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. Uh, that's me. <laughs> And uh, we're going to do the whole thing that we do. So I'm going to bring a 361 fact to you all. Are you ready? What have have you got? All right. So the submarine hull number 361 was uh, a Chinese People's Liberation Army Navy submarine named the Great Wall. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It was a conventional diesel electric submarine in April of 2003. During a military exercise in the Yellow Sea between North Korea and China's Shandong province, the vessel suffered a mechanical failure that killed all 70 crew members on board. It was one of China's worst peacetime military disasters. Ooh, yikes. Yep. That's what's notable about it, unfortunately. It's not very positive, but, uh, uh, yeah. you know, everything else was about, like, there's some car, like, motor block 361 yeah, we don't thing. Nobody cares about that stuff. So um, this is just uh, something of note. Turns out that uh, military stuff is dangerous even when there's not a war going on. So Who knew that yeah. weapons are dangerous? Yeah, there you go. So that is uh, our fact about the episode number 361. Sorry to start everybody off on a downer, but you know that's what I got. Anitra, would you like to bring us a little bit uh, more up, I guess? A little uplifting message? A little, little bit of Christmas cheer? I maybe? hope so. I hope so. Yeah, let's talk about something positive instead, like maybe the right way to look at Christmas. How do you help your kids understand that Christmas isn't just a get me more stuff holiday? That's a good question. We work on that all the time. (laughs) One way is to reduce the number of material gifts you give them and replace those with experiences like a day at a theme park or a special trip with just one of the adults in the family. Another idea is to try shifting their attention to others. There are a number of great ways to do this from having them research and pick a charity to donate to or picking a name off a giving tree for the kids to shop for. Giving trees are often set up by churches, food banks, and even some local malls. You can also spend time as a family volunteering, clearing out old toys to donate, or just visiting nursing homes to spread holiday cheer. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, you need to make sure that you are modeling the behavior you want to be teaching your children. If you'd like to talk about other ideas to help pass on your values to your children, schedule a time to talk to First Move by going to firstmovefinancial.com familygamers today all right thanks so much to the team at first move financial for helping us remember better ways to look at the christmas holiday and you know we do a lot of those things in our family i feel a little better now (laughs) (laughs) i mean some of them (laughs) all right anitra let's talk about some games that we've been playing how does that sound that sounds great those are experiences if only i had more games that we've been playing (laughs) really really i mean i suppose if we go all the way back to pax unplugged two weeks ago i've got a few yeah yeah (laughs) Let's talk about a couple of games. I think that we can find some stuff. I, okay. The first one I want to talk about is a game that I played with Elliot. You were not involved, but no, you I should play it. And that is a game that's getting a lot of showtime on social media, I'll say. Uh, and that's Santa's Workshop by Elf Creek Games. So this is a reprint of a game that had come out a while ago. And Elf Creek did an incredible job redoing this game all of the art is brand new everything is brand new on it there's a family mode and an advanced mode and i I honestly don't know if the original had both of those things but it's a fairly straightforward worker placement game but the family mode it's it's super easy to understand our nine-year-old was able to play it you are getting gift cards um and you know if you fulfill the gifts that you have you know start the game with you can put an elf on the gift area to collect the mail from you know santa's mail to figure out what gifts you need to build. Mm -hmm. And then there's four or five locations on the board where you're placing your elves to get different materials to build the gifts. There's some other mechanics like getting reindeer. So, you know, there's like a set collection thing with reindeer. And it's just kind of this point salad-y kind of way 
that you get victory points and eventually somebody wins the game. It was super fun and easy to understand. It went super quick because we played it at two, but it goes up to, I think, four or five players. There's five colors. I think it goes to four players, though. But hey, options are not bad. Um, But that's Santa's Workshop from Elf Creek. Definitely a great holiday game for the family. Cool. I'm going to talk about a game that you didn't play. How's that? Only fair. Only fair. Asher and I got in a couple plays of Skyrockets. So Skyrockets is sort of the spiritual successor to Kites. Uh, You remember that game with all the timers? I'm familiar with Kites. I never actually played it, but I, I know the game you're talking about. Yeah. So this is a new game from Floodgate that takes some of the same idea. It's still a real-time cooperative game with multiple timers that you need to continually flip over and over again. But in Skyrockets, the idea is that you are setting off Skyrockets. You're setting off fireworks. (laughs) Okay. And one of the timers is always sort of your limiting timer of... You need to flip it a certain number of times, but you're only allowed to flip it when it runs out. Okay. So while you're waiting for that one to run out, you're trying to keep all the other timers going. Sure. And just like in Kites, you're doing it by playing cards out from your hand. Every card has two colors on it. And so you flip those two colors of sand timer. But the interesting thing with Skyrockets is, first of all, it's slightly less punishing than Kites, which I did not expect it first (laughs) but you get a couple of like misfire duds you're allowed to mess up a couple of times and be like oh no that timer ran all the way out that's okay we can sacrifice one of these misfires and flip it back over and keep going so that part feels nice but also skyrockets has a whole set of challenges that you're going to work through so we've only done the first two so far but there's about 15 of them And each one has slightly different conditions on how it's set up. I did look ahead and some of them are like, you can't talk. And some of them are, these timers follow different rules than those timers and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's going to be really interesting to work through all of these different modes. It's still definitely a hard game, but it's an interesting kind of hard because it's based on the timer this way and the multiple timers. Something about it feels less of a commitment than a game like a fuse or a flatline or something where you're doing a number of rounds that are each maybe a minute long, but you're doing a whole bunch of rounds. And a whole game of Skyrockets is maybe three or four minutes, depending on how often you have to flip that control timer. So it was cool. I'm definitely looking forward to playing more of it. It's definitely for a very specific audience where you want a fast real-time game that is a little bit frantic. Yeah, I, it kind of sounds like that. <laughs> Let's talk about another cooperative game. And this is a game that I talked about a little bit because we played it at PAX Unplugged. Again, you did not play it, but you played it this time around. And this is the game Tesseract from Smirk and Dagger. So I didn't know what to expect when we saw this before, but this is a really cool... I mean, it really is just an abstract mm-hmm. cooperative game, but... It's a really neat way to put everything together that you're doing spatial feeling around this cube to figure out what's going next and what you can safely take. But there's also a whole bunch of color matching and number matching and making sets of things. And all of that works together for something that feels really interesting and good. Yeah, they did a really good job dressing up something that amounts to a simple dice game with 64 six-sided dice. Yeah. <laughs> in Tesseract, there is this literally cube of six-sided dice on a lazy Susan in the middle of the table, and your goal is to contain 24 of these dice. So the dice are in four different colors, and they look like they have fancy design on them, but really they're just one through six. And you have to contain one of each digit in each of the four colors mm-hmm. to contain the Tesseract and win the game. And the way that this happens is by you drafting dice off of the Tesseract or getting them from other people through, you know, various abilities to create sets or runs. So you could have all sixes or a one, two, three, and then they also have to be either all the same color or totally different colors. And if you do that, then you can contain one of those dice, right? So it's got 
some tiered goals that you have to hit in order to put something into this kind of containment grid, I guess you would call it. And you really have to work together. This is not the kind of cooperative game where you can be like, oh, you work on the yellow and I'll work on the orange. You have to be passing dice back and forth, letting you know different players do certain things because it's just strategically better for them to do them. There's these research cards that have special abilities and some of the asymmetric player powers might allow you to get more of these research cards for more special abilities. It's just a really, really interesting game. And I really like the fact that, you know, as parents, I can look at it with one of our kids and be like, you know what? I'm going to let him do the cool thing because I don't care about doing the cool thing. I want to play the game, right? Right. And that part of it is really fun for me to not just be able to do the cool thing because that feels good, but also to look for opportunities to let my kids do the cool things. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that. I'm still thinking about all the various aspects of the game. Like when you take a die off for your use, you keep it on the same face. But anything that programmatically takes a die off, you then have to roll it. So there's a a lot of chance involved in the bad stuff, but a lot less chance involved in your planning of the good stuff. Right. I do have a little bit of a fear, like even though there's asymmetric player powers, I do have a little bit of a concern that it might get too samey after four or five plays because there's no goals or other things to make the game dramatically different, Mm. although there are difficulty levels. So that's something that I'm a little concerned about because there's only like six different kinds of actions that each person can do, right? So you're right. you're doing the same kinds of things each time. It is a bit of a visual spectacle. Like it look, it's got great table presence, and we actually printed up an even cooler little stand for it. So I'm kind of excited to use that. <laughs> but yeah. I do have some concerns about the same potential sameness of this. I think it remains to be seen. There's a lot of randomness in the setup and in what can happen with the bad stuff. So it might not matter. It might not. That I don't there's know. not a lot of other ways to change it up. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, the truth is, like, this game is complex enough that it's probably not going to hit the table 25 times in our family, at least. So it might not end up making that much of a difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I was really pleased that Claire liked it and then Asher liked it. So I think we'll play it at four players. Maybe we'll even get Elliot in and see if we can manage a five-player game. I think it goes to five. So I don't know. That is Tesseract from Smirk and Dagger. It's a yeah. really cool it's idea. It's a cool game. Yeah. Well, we played some more Space Explorers Age of Ambition, which you put out a review for last week. Yeah. But I'd really like to talk a little bit more about Ecosystem Savannah, which we'll be reviewing soon. Basically, Ecosystem Savannah is another game built on the same system from Genius Games. It is an ecosystem card game. You are drafting cards as you pass hands around the table. You're gradually laying them out to make a grid that's five wide and four high with all of the various kinds of things that live in this ecosystem. But where Ecosystem Coral Reef had a lot of moving things around or pairing things up so that they were next to each other. Ecosystem Savannah has a whole system of predators and prey that works differently. And it's more of a spatial puzzle rather than this like, oh, well, I can move this thing over here and do this thing over here. One of the predators will eat all of the prey that's in a diagonal line from them. And another one, they have to be adjacent. And another one can just eat one of their specific prey anywhere on the board. And then there's, I think, two different animals that are basically carrion feeders and will only score points based on other cards that have already been quote unquote eaten. They've been flipped over in the grid. It's one of these games where you play it and then you look at how it was put together and you kind of respect it more, right? You're like, oh, okay, cool. Like the vulture or whatever it was, I don't remember, has to be above a dead gazelle. (laughs) yes that makes sense that tracks yep you know and stuff like that so at least for me and maybe this is just a commentary on my lack of brain power or something but at least for me like i had to play the game and work my way through the mechanics and then i could kind of look at the theme and be like oh oh, i see how this all gets okay that's kind of cool all right oh see for me i was able to start looking at the various abilities And immediately start kind of slotting that into a theme. Like, I think the lions wanted to be next to a a savannah square. 
and they couldn't score at all unless they were next to a savannah square like okay like they need to be in their hunting ground and giraffes would only score if they were next to a tree like that kind of stuff right but the lion had to be next to the savannah and also ate a gazelle somewhere yes right so (laughs) yeah i mean it, it was a much more interesting spatial puzzle without as many of like the interstitial mechanisms which we had in coral reef yeah but i'm liking that this is very obviously built on the same idea but it does not feel like the same game as ecosystem coral reef so i think it was done very well and i think these games are definitely doing what they set out to do which is to be a fun game that also teaches and reinforces sure yeah i agree so genius games is really good at that (laughs) they're very good at that and actually there's another animal themed game that we played a couple of times which was really neat it's called national geographic secret clue animals and it's basically like a similo style game in that you have one person giving clues and everyone else is working together to guess the right thing. But first of all, it's a smaller grid than Similo, which is appropriate because this is intended to be a game for kids and families. And secondly, the clue giver draws three cards on their turn and they have to put them all down. So they have to say for all of the cards that they drew, this is similar to your goal animal or dissimilar to your goal animal they can't just hold something back and be like oh this could go either way and it's too confusing no you have to pick something yeah there's a couple other small things that mechanically are different so at the beginning of the game the clue giver draws a card which gives them three animals that they need to get everyone to guess in order yeah so you have a number one order right and then after everybody's guessed number one then you need to get them to guess number two then you need to get them to guess number three Right. The other thing about it that is uh, really neat is that it is using National Geographic pictures, which is super cool. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic animal wildlife photography, and every single card on the backside of it has information about that animal. So it's it's really neat for that. It's definitely another very much an educational <laughs> game. And it leans a little bit heavier on the education first and fun second, but it is still a fun game. So I like it. I'm thinking it's going to kind of sit in my back pocket as a, you know, this is a quick and simple game to pull out with kids, with kids even who are younger than mine. And what would you say? A rule explainer on that? It's about three minutes? About three minutes. Yeah. The rule book itself is two pages pretty much. Right. Yeah. It's good stuff. National Geographic Secret Clue Animals. And a name like that really makes you think that maybe something else might be coming. Maybe. All right, Anitra. Well, I know that we have a bunch of interviews coming second half of the show. So why don't mm-hmm. we do something that we haven't done in a really long time? Sleep. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> that. <laughs> wow. I, I just got derailed. No. Um, and welcome our uh, Family Gamers community members. Oh, yeah. That would be a really good thing to we do. We haven't too. done that for over a month. Did you know that? <laughs> it's Whoops. been a bit. Yeah, I know. I'm going to get the welcoming started by saying welcome to Rule. Welcome to Imelda. Welcome to Mallory. Welcome to Mike O'Neill. Welcome to Kirsten. Welcome to Manguito. Welcome to Melody. Welcome to Fed. Welcome to Clay. Welcome to Abby. Welcome to Alex. And welcome to Mike Young. Two the mics Mike. this week. <laughs> Is that a mic drop? Or, no, <laughs> oh, no, mic no. ad? <laughs> mic ad. That's a double mic ad. 2x mic. All right. Anyway, welcome everybody to the community. We hope that you have been able to contribute or have gotten some good advice or something like that. Sorry, it's been so long since we've had the opportunity to do a welcome. But we're really glad that you're here. So glad. All right. And with that, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back from hearing about Tokaido Duo, which is our Snap review this week, you're going to hear a bunch more interviews from PAX Unplugged. We'll be right back. about a hiking trip. We'll see the sights, buy a few souvenirs, maybe even meet some interesting people. Well, don't forget, honey, especially with hiking, it's about the journey, not the destination. Now I'm getting tired just thinking about it. Let's play a game instead. 
This is a snap review for Takedo Duo. Takedo Duo is a game for just two players by Antoine Bauza, and it's based on the game Takedo. The box says it's for ages 8 and up, and it takes about 20 to 30 minutes to play. So, Nitra, let's talk about the art in Tokaido Duo. The art here looks very familiar because it's by the same incredible artist who illustrated Tokaido. The island board has a lot of white space with beautiful iconography and clear paths. There are a couple of kinds of tokens, all of which match the board iconography nicely. The board is a little bit more full than your regular Tokaido, but it's also significantly smaller. So they did a good job still keeping it so simple. The player boards have subtle patterning behind their depicted characters, and the three dice use icons to make it clear which die belongs to which character. There's also these wooden figurines in three different shapes for each player, and some cardboard coins. So what are the mechanics of Takedo Duo? Well, this time we're on the island of Shikoku, the smallest of Japan's four main islands. Each player controls three travelers, an artist, a merchant, and a pilgrim. The first player rolls all three dice and then picks one, the artist die, the merchant die, or the pilgrim die, and moves that figure exactly as many spaces as the die shows. The second player then picks one of the remaining two dice and does that action. Then the first player takes the remaining die and does that action. Now, the second player rolls the dice and gets the first pick. The two players go back and forth, and this is the way the game goes until the end. So what do these three different characters do? The pilgrim moves clockwise along the path around the perimeter of the island, with a specific action at each space. Temples and gardens increase a multiplayer on the pilgrim player board. Coastal towns grant coins. Hot springs grant a token that lets you use a die twice. And the seashore lets you choose an ongoing bonus effect for one of your three characters. The artist moves between inner areas of the island without ever doubling back during their movement. At their destination, they can either paint, which is revealing paintings on their player board according to how many other characters are around to see them, or they can gift a painting, which actually means removing the next painting from their board if it matches their current location. Every painting removed increases their final score. The merchant moves along these trade routes. When they stop in a mountain town in the center of the board, they can acquire new wares, pulling tokens from a bag and adding them to their board. When they stop in a coastal town, they can sell a specific type of ware for a specified price. Anytime the merchant has at least 10 coins, they must trade in those 10 coins for a gold slab, which gets placed below their board. And of course, each slab increases how many points the merchant has. The end of the game is triggered when a pilgrim maxes out one of their multipliers, an artist removes their last painting, or a merchant fills all of their spots for gold slabs finish out the current round of dice, then both players add up their victory points to find out whose team has made the more successful journey around the island. So, Anitra, what did we expect from Takedo Duo? I really enjoyed the original Takedo. Even though it's competitive, it's a pretty calming game. You're in it for the journey. Nearly everywhere you stop along the path, you feel like you've accomplished something. I hoped for a similar feel in Takedo Duo, but I wasn't sure how that can translate into a two-player-only game. We never really pulled Tokaido out when we were playing a two-player game, so I was kind of excited to get my hands on Tokaido Duo. Like you, I enjoy the original game because I love the movement mechanics, and I'm the kind of person that could really use the reminder to stop and smell the roses once in a while. Do they have roses in Japan? I don't know. It's just a beautiful adventure, and I was expecting more of the same in a smaller two-player box. But this game was full of some surprises. My biggest surprise is that we would each control three characters. That felt very different right from the start. But I love that we could mix and match these player boards as long as we both had exactly one artist, one merchant, and one pilgrim. If you look closely at the boards, you can even tell that there's a male and a female version of each of these three types. Takaido Duo definitely feels a lot more strategic to me. Maybe it's because it's a two-player game, you're either the winner or the loser, right? But the stakes felt higher to me playing this game. In the original game, Takedo, a lot of the special sauce was enjoying the journey no matter who won the game. Here, it just doesn't feel that way. I think a big part of that might be that in Takedo, you can enjoy success and get a lot done without leading the pack. In fact, in some cases, you can get more done by pulling up the rear. In Takedo Duo, that's not the case. You're always going back and forth no matter what you choose to do. 
these aren't really problems, and I still like the game, but if you're picking this up expecting that Tokaido serene experience, that's not quite there. Yeah, Tokaido Duo was not as chill of a game as I expected. You really have to pay attention to what your opponent is doing, and you can't afford to ignore any of your three characters. We recommend Takedo Duo when you want a two-player game that has tight competition without feeling super cutthroat. You're not directly competing for the same resources, but you can block the other players from doing the actions they might want. We're going to rate Takedo Duo four journeys out of five. That's Takedo Duo in a snap. Hey everybody, it is the second day of PAX and I am sitting in the game. I love the fact that I'm sitting in the gaming booth, right? Uh, I think it's a nice thing. It, 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 it's very helpful. It's very helpful. And I am here with the uh, grand poobah of gaming, I'm going to say. Uh, John, how are you doing today? Very good. Thank you very much. Yeah, so the, it's very busy. Uh, and it is the beginning of December. It is now December 2nd, I guess. And um, I'm sitting in front of this game called The Tree Trimming Game. Uh, last week, I trimmed the Christmas tree that we bought so I could hang it in my house. And uh, and this is uh, just a lovely version of a Christmas tree. So um, tell me a little bit about this game. It's a family party game. So like if you're having an event with the family that you have, the family that you make, you can play this together. Um, I designed it so that mechanically it's um, accessible for younger players that um, are just starting out with board games and perhaps some older adults that may not be into board games, so they can still play, you know? Um, the idea for it is um, playing with the mechanic, des designing a well-balanced ornament tree, making sure that um, the ornaments are not, the same ornaments are not next to each other. And as you play, you're gonna have a chance to pull the Holiday Spirit cards, which prompt you with um, an example of a question for specifically tailored to the holiday that gets everybody talking. Okay. So for me, if everybody is talking, enjoying the game, enjoying each other, I won the design. <laughs> I won the game design uh, lottery. Uh, the whole point is just to get everybody together. For uh -huh. So do you do you idealize this like after dinner when everybody is too full to stand up? You just put this on the table. <laughs> um, I think what, uh, for me, for when we do it, I, I when I was playtesting it, I literally put it in the middle of the action. So like, this is a, officially, it's like a 45 minute game, but um, it can go as fast or as slow as your play and party goes. So I, I tried it out like in the middle of the action while people are walking around, having their eggnog and other, the other drinks, um, and um, just walking and out and play. So the young players were like hovering around the board because they were excited by the, like the art and the game itself. And the older players would like play, Drink their eggnog, come back, yeah. play a little bit. So like, nice. it keeps the uh, keeps the momentum of the event and also the flow of the people like in like around the game. So so, so this isn't you know I mean we're sitting in packs right, right where there's 120 180 minutes right. super intense miniatures game yeah. something like that. This is way more casual. This is Very something casual. designed for a mixed family audience right. where it sounds like the way you're describing it people can be like kind of actively playing and then people can kind of come in and, and maybe play a couple rounds, answer some questions and then go off and have their adult conversations. Absolutely. Now, my family are um, very boisterous. So when somebody asks the question, you're going to be hearing my uncles from the other rooms. Like, That's because they're not having the eggnog. They're having the other stuff, yeah, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. so like if you can get your whole family like participating, even if they're not directly in the same room, I think, again, that's a win. Uh, it's like that's kind of like the idea of like what I wanted with this game. Cool. All right. So so this is the tree trimming game yeah. by Gamey, Gamey together. And where can people find this? Um, people can find this online at gamey.fun. Um, from the website, you'll be able to um, purchase from there. Um, I also like I design in Brooklyn. Um, I'm a local Brooklyn person. I go to the stores. And I have my little sales pack, and I try to talk to everybody and like um, get them in touch with my distributor, so that they can have um, my games in their store. So I'm trying to branch out from there. But for now, the easiest avenue is the website. So that is gamey.fun.fun. Gamey.fun. Yeah, All right. Gamey is fun. 
I mean, that makes sense. I just want to make sure I get it right. Actually, because gaming wants you to play board games. It'd be nice if you played gaming board games. (laughs) I love that. All right. Uh, Thanks so much for taking a couple of minutes to talk on the Family Gamers podcast. Thank you for having me. I am here at PAX Unplugged with Brian, who is the designer of a game called Sequitur. Brian, can you tell us all about it? Absolutely. In Sequitur, everyone has a rack of eight balls, and they're trying to make words on that rack. To make a word in Sequitur, it's a little different than other word games. You're going to take out letters that are not in your word, so the words are kind of hiding in plain sight. Uh, But something might not be in the right order for you to do that. To help you out, you have action cards, which let you either move by one or move to the outside, or in some cases, discard some balls and draw some new balls. Uh, But every round is different because you're working towards goals. There are goals on the table that are going to be easy, medium, and hard that are worth one, two, or three points toward victory. An example of an easy one might be two vowels in a row for one point. But everyone else is working towards those goals. If you want to get to the goals first, you want to spell words that are longer or use words that have more skill points, which are a lot like Scrabble. It's trickier to use letters like K or Y will have more skill points. Uh, Each round, everyone is spelling one word that tries to hit as many goals as they can. And at the end of three rounds, you count up your points from your goals to see who wins. This game definitely seems like it's simple to learn, but hard to kind of get through the learning curve and get better at. It seems really cool. The box says ages 10 and up, which I would guess feels about right to me, but otherwise a great family game. I would agree. People of all ages can play this. It really works on your vocabulary skills as well as kind of your spatial reasoning and strategy. So like you said, it's pretty deep and you can get better as you play it. Well, thank you very much for your time and I'll let you get back to selling your game. All right, it is day two, PAX Unplugged, and uh, I still have my voice so far. I'm here with Nick. Hi, Nick. Hey. And we are here in the WizKids booth with Mitch, who somehow barely has his voice, too. I know. It's been a lot of demoing, but, uh, you know, it's all good stuff. Talking about games all day, like, couldn't be a better place. Right. Like, if you if you do what you love, it's not it's still work, but you, you're doing what you love. But we took a look at a couple of games. We looked at uh, Yakmok. Marvel Remix, and Unboxed. And I put them in that order because I feel like the complexity is simplest on Yakmok, and then when you get to Unbox, it, it blew our mind when we played. <laughs> so let's start with Yakmok. Talk about that game a little bit. Absolutely. So Yakmok, the winter market, it's themed after a uh, real place in Sweden. It's been running for about 400 years now in the month of February. People travel all over from the world to come to this winter market. And so uh, basically it's a family-style game where you have two family member meeples, and you're going around the stalls of the market uh, collecting different sets of cards. And so it might be candy, or it might be sparklers, or it might be fika. Um, And so there's different cards that score in a bunch of different ways. And you have the opportunity to build uh, the deck, the market deck, based on, I think we have 18 different sets. And so there's a lot of variety in how you could set up the game. And so you'll go through rounds, moving your family member meeples, collecting sets, scoring points. It's a super charming theme, uh, served best with a cup of hot cocoa and uh, some friendly faces. Well, I do want to say there's there's hot dogs. I like I like hot dogs. Hot dog is my favorite card. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad we, we could bond over yeah. something. All right, so that's Yakmok. Pretty cool. Um, talk about Marvel Remix. Marvel Remix, a lot like Fantasy Realms. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. So it is uh, based on fam- uh, Fantasy Realms using that system, but has some new twists and turns. So uh, it's the Marvel theme. So we all it's all superheroes that we know and love. Um, and it's a hand management game. So the actions on your turn are pretty simple. Draw a card, discard a card. Once 10 cards have hit the market, the game is over and you'll score what's in your hand. It's gonna be based on different combinations of matching symbols. And so, you know, it might be all of your uh, Avengers together are gonna score well together, or all of your mutants together are gonna score together. But there's a twist where you have to have a villain in your hand or you'll score no points. So you're kind of managing the, the high risk, high reward element of having a villain with your team. And can you fulfill different set collection options based on different icons? And you also have a really fun twist where you can upgrade um, Tony Stark 
into Iron Man. Um, and so if you meet different conditions, uh, some of your cards can upgrade for more points and stuff like that. So again, it's um, it's super simple, but there's such a depth of strategy. You know, it uses that Fantasy Realm system that so many people know and love, um, but just with a with a different theme that's really fun and exciting. Um, it's a great time. It's one of my favorite WizKids games. Uh, so I'm glad you got to uh, take a look at it. Yeah, I... I really like fantasy realms because it plays so quickly yeah. and every game is different right yes you really can't play that game with a predefined strategy that you go in and execute it, it's totally dependent on what you know what cards you have in your hand yeah absolutely and what's nice with the with the remix version we've reduced text on the cards and added more icons and so it's a lot less reading compared to the first one and so you could play even faster and it's a little bit more accessible so yeah it's a great time awesome all right and uh and the last one is unboxed yeah, uh, Nick, what what do you think of this one? I thought it was pretty cool. That's all you're gonna give me? Uh, <laughs> Unboxed. It did break our brain a little bit. It, yeah, it, it makes your brain hurt a little bit. I, a little bit leaked out, but we cleaned it up. So uh, talk about Unbox a little bit. Yeah, so Unbox is uh, our first take on the one box mystery genre. Uh, so you might be familiar with exit games and you have one box, there's different puzzles inside to solve. Um, and once you've figured it out, usually a lot of the components are discarded and it won't be able to, to play again. This version, you're not tearing up any pieces, you're not drawing on anything, so it can be easily re-giftable when you're done. But the idea is that you are archaeologists, you're at a dig site, and you've uncovered some ancient board games. And the components are in great condition, but the rule books haven't survived the time. And so you have to study the components and figure out how these different games are played. I, it's like Indiana Jones meets metagaming. Like, yeah. It's really cool to, to have to do this. We played the first simplest puzzle <laughs> and we're like I don't I don't know I don't know what I'm doing and then like you know you'd look at it for a while and then something would click and you're like oh I could try this thing exactly yeah yeah so it's it's got those fun moments of discovery and exploration and you're really just kind of pressing buttons to see what happens it's a lot of fun there's 10 different digs and there may or not be an additional hidden dig <laughs> uh, whether you find it or not um, and so yeah it's just a good time to get people together and uh, kind of get a a behind the scenes of kind of game design because you're looking at pieces and seeing how can we create a game with these pieces so it's kind of fun it's totally meta for gamers like you mentioned yeah i will say this um you know when we first sat down and played it and i was thinking about it i was really thinking you know i don't know if kids can play this game but the thing is that those sparks those sparks of ideas are not complicated and you know we've had our nine-year-old come in and be like well what about this obvious thing and we're like that what and, and <laughs> And I actually think that it's worth trying with a, with a family with, you know, I wouldn't say young kids, like under six, but I, I actually think that, you know, those tweens and even those young teenagers might come in with some pretty good ideas to play a game like Unboxed. Yeah, it's a nice way to challenge them a little bit and ha have them think outside the box. Oh, hey, or under the box. <laughs> or in the box, yeah. It's craziness. All right, well, Mitch, I appreciate you taking some time to talk. Um, I'll let you save your voice for the rest of day two. Uh, this is uh, Andrew and Nick, and uh, we're at PAX Unplugged, and we're having a great time in the WizKids booth. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks for stopping by. Hi, this is Nick at PAX Unplugged, day two, with Rick from Blue Rondo Games. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you doing? Great. So how's the show been for you guys? The show's been wonderful. This is our first time coming to PAX as exhibitors, um, and it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun, I okay. would say. Yeah. So any, any games you've been playing outside of, you know, doing the retail thing? It's been it's been quite busy, unfortunately. We haven't had a whole lot of chances to, to take a break, but hopefully by Sunday we'll get the chance to what? walk around a little bit more. Well, but great. we did get the chance to see Lemon Game. Uh, okay. When we were originally testing out this game in the Unpub area, uh, there was somebody who had an idea for a game called Lemon Game, and it's finally coming together. And so it was really cool to see him and see him starting to sell his game. So, yeah. Very awesome. Yeah, your booth is, I just walked in here a few minutes ago, and it's been popping. We just played a game of Crabs, so can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, this is a shedding-type card game. It's, it's, it's similar to other shed shedders that exist where you're trying to get rid of all your cards. We use the powers of the Joker Crabs to really try to steal a win or pull opponents down and kind of, you know, claw your way to victory, so to speak. So... Uh, two to six players, five to 15 minutes, a good appetizer before maybe a big heavy game. So where did you get the idea for the game? That's funny, actually. Like, uh, back in 2020, I was dating somebody who was German, um, and she showed me this game that they play called Mau Mau. And that game, it was oh, kind the, of like Uno. The onion game, right? Say it again? It's like the onions? Uh, no, it's a, I, I think I know what you're talking okay. about, but this, okay. is a, this is a game that's played with just regular playing cards. Oh, okay. Uh, but it starts at um, seven. Uh, they don't have any cards below seven, and the objective is to get rid of all your cards, and you have um, jokers as well. 
Um, and it was a fun game. I thought it was pretty cool, but I wanted to take it to the next level. So I tried to mix the idea of Mau Mau with tarot cards. Um, and I created a version of it where the major arcana, I don't know if you're familiar with tarot cards. Tarot yeah, cards yeah. are split into major and minor arcana. Minor arcana are kind of like regular playing cards. Okay. And the major arcana are a bunch of different fancy cards like the priestess, the hierophants, and so on. So I created different effects for each of the major arcana that you could play to be able to steal a win. And as I was playtesting the game, it was during peak COVID, so I had nobody to play test with. So I was playtesting it by myself on my couch, um, pretending to be a bunch of different players. And as I was playing, I found myself a lot more interested in trying to make sure that nobody steals a win and pulling each other down rather than trying to win myself, which is pretty similar to how crabs are in a bucket. So okay, I was like, yeah. okay, it's got to be called crabs in a bucket. How many crabs are there out there? Started looking them up on Wikipedia and realized that there's all kinds of crabs there. There's giant crab, samurai crab, pigeon crab, and so on. So from there, we just kind of we just kind of took it as far as we could. So how did the whole the whole Joker element in the games? That's like seems like a really big part it of the is. game. You know, you know, going up and going down with the cards. Mm-hmm. There's cards that have special is there special powers. Yes. Or would you consider them? Or? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When it comes to the Jokers, uh, we wanted something. I, when I was originally coming up with the idea for how to mix the idea of tarot cards with this game with Mau Mau. Since the major arcana don't have any kind of value, I wanted them to have some kind of special effects tied to them. And so um, I originally inscribed a bunch of effects that seemed similar to uh, the different cards that existed in the major arcana. So uh, the death card, for example, made you lose the game and stuff like that. Um, and so once we shifted over to crabs, we changed the effects to kind of match kind of the kinds of things that happen with the, with the crabs themselves, with their various names and such. Like, for example, champagne crab is, you know, you associate that with being kind of tipsy. So as yeah. a result, you kind of, you mix your cards together and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I noticed that. That was one of the cards I had in the hand that I played. So, yeah, yes, I yes, see that. yes, yes. So it's been really cool. And then with the with the regular cards, um, like a, a core mechanic when it comes to the the numbered cards and the jacks, queens, and kings is that you can you can find complex ways to be able to establish different runs and get rid of a bunch of cards all at the same time. Uh, and the jacks, queens, and kings are able to block the use of joker crabs and stuff like that. We added those kinds of things together because we wanted to be able to give the game a little bit more of a tactical flair yeah. than maybe your average shedding type card game. Because yeah. uh, our goal with the game is to be able to invite people who might not necessarily be super tactical per se to be able to play the game alongside with folks who are tactical and really enjoy that kind of thing because our goal as a company overall is to create games that unite both casual and core gamers alike and yeah. so i think we've accomplished that with this yeah. game and as a hardcore gamer myself for years i mean just between the joker crabs and then not being able to play those i think there's some element of timing and mm-hmm. so like the gamer gamers are going to get that those mm-hmm. they can sit there and strategize well i'm playing with my 10 year old mm-hmm. he just okay i'm just trying to get rid of cards and maybe not really thinking that at a higher level not that he couldn't but mm-hmm. I, really, I really get it where you kind of blend those two you know those two you know different gamer types together absolutely that, that was our mission with this one and i think with the way that it came out in the end i think we've accomplished it so i'm very happy with the finished yeah. product and the artwork's awesome and the, the crabs thank are so stinking so stinking cute too thank you so much shout out to michaela tubiola um we do everything in-house we have our own collective oh, wow. we were all students when we started us here at blue runner games um and we're just a bunch of creatives who just wanted to just push all of our creative energy out into the world We've got so much other stuff in the works. A lot of it's secret at the moment, but um, we're all about you know being able to create stuff that is able to unite players and using our own skills to be able to make that happen. So awesome! And then really cool. you handed me a card about an upcoming Kickstarter. That's Can you true. talk about that? So we got a Kickstarter coming up um, for an expansion for the game. It's called Shrimpocalypse. We're going to announce it um, at the start of next year. Um, it's going to take everything that we have in Crabs in a Bucket and take it to the next level. Times 20. It's going to be so much fun. We've got 10 new Joker crabs. We have an entire new suit that has a different kind of function called the Sea Bunnies. It's going to be a lot of fun. And most importantly, the star of the show are the four horsemen of the Shrimpocalypse. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, yes. They are these shrimp that ride on seahorses. And every time one of these cards comes up, whether you play it or whether you discard it, crazier and crazier and crazier things happen to the game. But if you're trying to really go for the nihilistic route, you can get rid of all four of the horsemen of the Shrimpocalypse and win the game. So it's kind of a matter of just kind of holding the entire game hostage for your own benefit and seeing if you can win before you're able to pull everybody else down. It's going to be intense, and it's going to really raise the stakes of crabs in the bucket. I'm super excited for it. Now, will the two games blend together at all? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. This is an expansion to the first game. Okay, so not a standalone or anything? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So um, it's it's a, a set of components that you add to uh, the base game. Okay. Yes. All right, cool. Um, so, so how did you get into gaming yourself? Tell me a little about yeah. your, us about your gaming journey. I've always been interested in games. I've always had ideas for um, mostly like video games and stuff like that. But I hadn't taken it seriously until COVID, until uh, you know we were all locked in our houses. And yeah. I had this idea for a card game, and I was just testing it out just with my with my girlfriend and her family. And eventually, I was just like, you know what? Let's just try it. And you know, I told my friends I had I had friends that were interested in various creative things, and we were like, you know what? Why don't we just put something together? 
and we called it Blue Runner Games and just kind of took it from there. I admit, uh, when I started this out, I was kind of an outsider to the board game community. I didn't have a whole lot of experience with a lot of stuff, um, and I had to learn about how the, how the community exists and all that. Um, but what I'm so thankful for is we have such a beautiful community that's like so focused on just helping each other yeah, out. Yeah. The very first thing I did, I talked to Dave Campbell, who made um, Taco Cat Goat Cheese Pizza. Okay. I was so nervous. I so shot him an email, and he got back to me, and he gave me all these tips and stuff like that. Super, super generous. He had, he had no reason to talk to just yeah. somebody who's like, oh, I have an idea for a game. Doesn't even have a website or anything. Um, he gave me all this advice, and he told me that this is just how the board game is. We take the board game community is. We take care of ourselves, and you know, when, when folks you know want to want to make something happen, we we, we trade information and all other other kind of stuff. And everybody's been so helpful along the way. Uh, countless creators: Dan Kobayashi, Tomas Lidal, Eric Chen. Everybody, like, like, there's just you know, there's so much help and so much support. Um, so I, I, you know, I've been able to learn as a result of, of that vibrant community that we have. Very good. So where can folks find Crabs in a Bucket if they're not at PAX? On Crabs Pug? in a Bucket is available on our website at shop.bluerunnergames.com. It's also available on Amazon. Hopefully at the time of this, <laughs> that this airs, our Amazon will be a little bit more fixed up. But it is still purchasable on Amazon, so you're welcome to get it there. Or on shop.bluerunnergames.com, or on Instagram shop at Games, or on our TikTok shop at Games. Well, very good. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Have a good day. Hey, everybody. It is day two of PAX Unplugged, and I'm here with one of my new besties, Danielle Reynolds. Hello. Hey. <laughs> and we are talking about a very exciting announcement from Wise Wizard Games about their new, I guess, product line? Yeah, so it's going to be an imprint called Wacky Wizard Games. So this is super cool because one of your games is one of the the new games in the imprint, and then and that's a game that you co-designed with Boop Designer, yep, Scott right, Brady. Scott Brady, yeah. right? And then uh, Packed Essentials, Jacqueline Atkins game, yep. um, and there's a, a newer version of Star Realms Star Academy, Realms. yes, and that yeah. is going to be from the original creators, but this is going to be a more kid-friendly version. So you're going to have less cards to hold in your hand, only symbols, so no reading. And then a little bit different uh, how the money works, but in general, more streamlined, very freaking adorable. Like, plushies are in its future, for sure. And then my game, Caution Signs with Scott Brady, and that's going to be a party game where you have 20 seconds to quickly draw warnings for your friends, such as, like, melting babies or gassy monkeys or angry rhinos. you got to watch out for them, and you got to be able to draw a sign for it. And then the last one is, yeah, Pack the Essentials, where you're using polyominoes to pack cats and clothing into suitcases and score points. It's very cute and super excited for this new line of, like, kind of family-friendly, kids, party game-esque, and anything that's a little kooky that doesn't quite fit Wise Wizard. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, I've played, um, I guess I've played two of those yeah, games. Yeah, you played right? two. Yeah, uh, and caution signs, I will say, especially, you know, for our people, gassy babies you have to look out for them you do <laughs> so um for people who haven't played star realms before yeah. do you recommend that people like try star realms and then they can play star realms academy with no, their kids so should they start with that like how does it all work yeah so star realms academy can totally be played by adults honestly if you're not a gamer it's great because you don't have to do the reading that a lot of us don't like to do but no, uh, you can start at Academy or you can start at Star Realms. Either way, I mean, it works both directions. I would say, like, me personally, I actually kind of really like the Academy one for the icons because my brain gets a little tired, especially at conventions. Yeah. <laughs> We're all tired. I like both. They're both really great. And honestly, it's just, like, a good way to get kind of, like, your family or maybe, like, friends or spouses that are not gamers into the Star Realms world and then bring them into, like, the official Star Realms or Frontiers or any of the stuff we got going on. Right, but it's so it's still primarily like a head-to-head -head battle game. Like none of that has changed. It's no, just a simplification yeah, yeah. It's of the still process. Still deck builders, still going against each other. Uh, just more streamlined and cutesy, cartoony. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then caution signs, kind of more of a party game. Party kind of game. Thing? Yep, it's three to eight players, and we're trying to get the price point down to maybe twenty-five. We're gonna figure that out uh, once we get all the quotes in. But excited, it'll come out early next year. All right, and then last one, pack the essentials. What's the, is it like two to four players, I think, I feel it is, like? Actually, we have a solo mode, so it's oh, okay. one to four players. Okay. Yes. Um, and when are these projected to come out? They're all plan? projected to come out next year. Okay. So as long as everything's working out in the world, <laughs> and with manufacturing, we should see all of them next year. All right, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Danielle. I know you're cramming this in. With everything else you got going on, you are a crazy woman, yeah. but I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me.
It's day two of PAX, and I am here with Ryan from One Day West Games. Uh, Ryan, tell us all about Maze Craze. Sure. All right, Maze Craze is a dice rolling game where players are simultaneously rolling dice, trying to move, race, I'm sorry, race through a corn maze. So there's a, a card in front of you that shows the path to get through the maze, and everyone's looking at it, and they have their dice, and they're rolling frantically, trying to match the card that's in front of them. The first player to get through the maze yells Maze Craze. Everyone stops. You calculate points, and then the game's played over the course of six rounds. So everybody gets points for how many dice they have out in the path, but the person who finished first gets a bonus, right? Oh, yes. There's a Maze Craze bonus. So you get two points for yelling Maze Craze. And then everyone looks. If I ha if it's it takes six dice to complete it, and I rolled, I got four of them before someone yells Maze Craze, I score four points. So everyone is scoring points throughout the game. Uh, and then once you've gotten the hang of that, then you can pull out the extra, the round cards to make things more interesting, right? Tell us a little bit about what those do. Sure. All right, so the round cards, it basically takes it more than just rolling and placing dice. It uh, creates more dexterity. So there's a, uh, a, a hayride. So you have to take a, your little scarecrow maple and put him on your die and move him to your board with the die instead of just, just placing it. Um, yeah, so it just makes it more interesting. Uh, a fan favorite is one I was telling you about was animal noises. You have to pick an animal noise and make that sound the entire time you're, you're rolling your dice. So you have an entire table making a sheep sound. You're rolling dice and you're hearing that happening. So it's, it's, it's neat. It's frantic rolling and a lot of fun. Yeah, I can see how using the round cards would especially help advantage different people depending on what gets pulled. So one round, maybe it's just you're looking for even numbers and odd numbers, but the next round it's way more dexterity, and the one after that it's something else that's going to make it you know, hard to focus on what you're doing, and all, all of that really bumps up the level of the game a little bit. And it plays up, up to six players too, so it's, it's a great game to pull out if you have having a party, everyone can play, and it's really fast. It takes about 15, 20 minutes max to play around, so you can set it up and you know, play multiple games within, within an hour. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for showing us your game, Ryan, and we hope you do great at the convention. Thank you so much. All right, hello, everybody. We are getting close to the end of PAX Unplugged Day 2. Day 2, right? Day 2? Yeah. Day 500. <laughs> 502. And I am hanging out with a crowd of people. Including Lisa. Hi. Hello. All right. And we're going to talk about um, this game is so adorable. We're going to talk about the game Mycelia from Ravensburger. This game, so cute. Tell me about Mycelia. So Mycelia here is our enchanting introduction to deck building games where you are recruiting a whole team of adorable personality filled mushroom folk to help you forage for dewdrops uh, in the forest. Uh, and you move them along your board with the help of your mushroom cards uh, to a portal where you can uh, put them over in the Shrine of Life, which is like this cool 3D centerpiece. Um, but what is really awesome about Mycelia is that the game designer, Daniel Greiner, um, actually designed this game to teach his parents how to play deck building games. They're his favorite mechanic, his family, they're not gamers, they don't always get his job. And he was like, how can I distill this? to like the really basic building blocks and then figure out a way to very intentionally layer in complexity as people are ready. Um, but basically you're recruiting, I mean, folks who cannot see this, there are incredibly tiny, anxious, little red mushrooms with like googly eyes. They are so, you know what they remind me of kind of like is little guys in Pikmin? You ever oh see God. Pikmin? They, they've got Pikmin energy. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Pikmin. It, like, like I, I have the visual aid here, yeah. and uh, everybody, um, you'll have to go to thefamilygamers.com when we release a review for this because we will have pictures. It's mega adorable. Yeah. So there are just like tons of illustrated cards. Every single one has like so much different personality, but they're all based off of real world mushrooms. So our art director, Kiara, actually had this mood board where they, she has the scientific names of the mushrooms and she researched their history. History, uh, what they are like in nature, how they've historically been used, and that informs all of the illustrations. 
So like this guy here, who's got like a drippy black ink cap, that mushroom actually does that and it's a unique way that it distributes its spores. There is a card in here where there's this little mushroom making a campfire and that has historically been used as kindling. Um, so lots of little, I guess, mushroom Easter eggs, <laughs> Easter spores. <laughs> I love that. I love playing games and you kind of learn something along the way. Also, what's with the mushroom games these days? Right? There are, they're having their moment, yeah. I feel like. Um, but a lot of times mushroom games, and I do love this aesthetic, but it's very like brown and green and parchment and aged and diagrams of mushrooms with like italics figure A next to them. And mycelia, I think is very different. Like we've taken that nature vibe of mushrooms and just painted it with like a glittery sunrise wash over it. Um, and all of the mushrooms have come to life uh, and are friends that you can make. Yeah, so fungi, obviously, uh, they grow best in uh, areas that don't have direct sunlight. But I will say, without a doubt, with all the mushroom games, mycelia is the sunniest and most adorable one that I have seen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, at PAX, it's just been so cool seeing people catch the artwork out of the corner of their eye and then just kind of gravitate toward it and like the moss floor of the demo area and the little tree stump stools um, to play it and um, watching them learn uh, and it's, it seems like such a like a basic game but like still has depth in the demo area if you've played all the boards currently are on the side where they're all the same so if someone's first learning deck building kind of that even playing field but you can actually flip those boards over and they all have different layouts so that's a little bit of complexity there are some expansions uh, that you can kind of add in different like levers of mechanics i guess so there's one where the cards will have um, like an instant action when you first recruit them into your deck um, and there's even a solo mode as well. So lots of different ways to kind of tweak it and make it as complex as you want. Nice. Well, everybody who listens to our show knows that I always talk about the art and board games. Uh, I'm just fascinated by it. I think it's because I'm a, I'm a stick figure guy. Like, that's pretty much how I draw stuff. Um, but I am pretty confident that when we get home and we just unload the car... Our kids are going to look at this, and I think this might be one of the first ones that they pick out and they want to play. Yay! I hope so. The artist just enchanted such an amazing job. Um, and then I'm also really proud of the flavor text. There's lots of mushroom puns uh, to find in there. <laughs> well, I am a dad, so obviously I appreciate that as well. So Mycelia is available now? Uh, it is now available as of this PAX weekend. All right, excellent. And where can people get it, and at how much does it cost? It is uh, $39.99. Uh, it is available on Amazon currently, or go to your friendly little game store. All right, excellent. Thank you so much, Lisa, for talking about Mycelia. Thank you for having me. All right, and that is pretty much going to do it for our PAX Unplugged coverage this year. We had an absolute blast. It was way more exhausting having uh, three children instead of two, by the way. I did not expect it to be so much more tiring than it was. Well, and it's funny because our older kids honestly were pretty chill and kind of took care of themselves. It's just that I forgot what it's like being out in public with Elliot in large convention halls. <laughs> but that's all right. We only lost him once. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I am super excited for a bunch of the games that we talked about during this episode in these interviews. Yeah. Unboxed from WizKids is a game I really want you to try out. Okay. I, I think it's just super, super cool. Hopefully... We'll be able to work with WizKids and get that into the house. Also, really want to play basically everything from uh, Wacky Wizard. From Wacky Wizard, yeah. And I meant it when I said Mycelia is super, super cute. It's got that like crazy Pikmin energy. Really excited for that game as well. Well, we'll see which of those games we get to spend more time with in the coming months. But I think we have enough games already to work on right now. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about those games on our social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, X, Threads, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at Family Gamers AA for Andrew and Anitra. You can join the Facebook community, which is the Family Gamers community on Facebook, or go to thefamilygamers.com slash community to join there, and we'll welcome you on the next show. Mm -hmm. Or you can join the Family Tabletop community on Discord. We're there. The Game Schooler guys hop in sometimes, the One Board Family guys, but it's mostly us and JP from Little Big Thumbs and Brian from Brains on Games. Mm-hmm. 
Good stuff. It's a really great hybrid community, I'll call it. I mean, it's about families playing games. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. And we think the easiest way to get there is go to thefamilygamers.com slash discord. Of course, you can always email us, Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. I don't think it's too late. I think it's probably too late. I mean, if you hear this on the Monday that it's released, you can go directly to thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch and order some cool family gamers and play games with your kids merchandise, hopefully in time hoodies. for Christmas. I don't want to promise it, but it's a good, you know, it's a good New Year's gift, we'll say. Cool merchandise, warm hoodies. Mm-hmm. Yep. All those yep. things. So that is thefamilygamers.com forward slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, and Spotify. And honestly, the best Christmas gift that you could give us is to tell your friends about the Family Gamers Podcast, because we really want more listeners and more community. Mm -hmm. I will say, we are having the best year we've ever had on the website, and we Mm -hmm. really appreciate it. So, it's pretty awesome. We really, really do. Mm -hmm. Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Head over to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Whew, we made it. We did. And Anitra, our next episode is going to be released on, are you ready for it? January 1st. Ooh. So that means a lot of things. That means we're going to talk about our monthly report. It means we're going to talk about our yearly report. It means we're going to talk about our favorite games of 2023. Oh, man. Which means we should play a lot of games between now and then. I will do my best. All right. So we're going to go do that. So until next year, everybody, play Play games games with with your kids. kids.